if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Good Friday morning to all of you out there. This is Rob Walgate sitting in for Bob France on this beautiful sunny morning in Northeast Ohio. Uh, Bob is not with us today. He is emceeing the Bringing America Back to Life convention um, in Ohio and doing wonderful, wonderful work with a number of great folks down the street. So um, that's where he will be. For the next couple of days, and he sent me a text message and asked me if I would mind sitting in the chair. And of course, anytime I'm given the opportunity to have a discussion with his audience, I always take full advantage of that. And um, Derek, we're looking forward to a very fun, adventurous day on this Friday. Is that what you want to call it? I, I do. That is what I want to call it. Because when Bob texted me and said, hey, would you mind sitting in? I said, of course, I'd love to. I'd started the prep work, doing a lot of the homework. Everything you think you want to talk about in the two hours, and you have about nine hours worth of material that that I wanted to cram in there. Um, And a lot of it focused on an article that came out in February, mid-February, in Time Magazine. And the title of the article is The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign that Saved the 2020 Election. And it's in time, and I encourage everyone to go read this article. It's kind of, it's going to make you scratch your head. It's going to make you ask a lot of questions. It's going to make you say, wait a minute, what is this? Is this one giant distraction? Is this the left spiking the football? Is this the left showing a game plan? What are they hiding? There's going to be some new characters maybe you've never heard of before. But there's also going to be some that are missing that you know had a part in the 2020 election. And they talk about how they did things from mail-in ballots to pushing to encourage uh, state legislatures, which obviously never got involved in the process of extending um, deadlines, in, in my opinion, legally in a number of states, but the courts got involved. They get into all of that discussion. Again, it's in Time Magazine, the secret history of the shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election. Y- you need to go read it. After you read it, I encourage you to visit thepublicsquare.com. That's our national radio program of the American Policy Roundtable. We've spent the last few weeks discussing that, breaking it down, taking a look at all the players, all the pieces, all the parts, everything that happened in the 2020 election, because there's so much more than just the headlines. And unfortunately, in today's world, in today's media, 
that's what you're going to get the headlines. They don't care about the understory, about the rules, maybe with the law, what happened, how it was bent. This article dives into that, and it's going to give folks an inside look. So, again, that was my intention. That's what I said. Hey, this is what we're going to talk about. And then it all fell apart last night at 8 o'clock. It, it all fell apart because at 8 o'clock last night, we turned on the television and we listened to President Biden and his address to the nation regarding everything that happened. And as he was talking, I was sitting with, I was actually sitting with my third grader as they were doing math homework and I'm watching the president's speech. And like, I'm giving these goofy looks probably at the president as he's saying things, because obviously I'm taking notes. I don't agree with a number of things of what he said, the revisionist history that he was trying to provide. And I'm just shaking my head. And and my daughter at the time would blurt out the answers that she got in math. And I would like turn with this goofy look and look at her and she'd go, that's wrong, isn't it? I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm like, no, I'm not giving that look to you, honey. I'm giving it for, for another reason. So, um, attempting to do third grade math homework and listening to the president was a challenge, but I went back and listened to the 25 minutes over again. I've read the transcripts. If you have not read the transcripts of the speech, I encourage you to do that. So many times we listen and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to listen to some excerpts from the speech. We're going to break it down, but I encourage people to read the transcripts. You can get so much more. Grab the highlighter, grab the pen, grab your cup of coffee, grab your drink of choice, and read it and mark it up, and then do some research on your own. Don't don't just take my word for it. Don't take the nightly news word for it. Do some research on your own to understand the facts and the historical context of what happened during this speech. And I'll tell you what, to me, it was political theater. And that's what the discussion about COVID has been for much of the last year. We're on day 366 of our 15 days to flatten the curve. Um, we have made it that far. So at some point we're going to, we're going to reach day 15, I feel. Um, but, but I'll tell you what, if the people in charge stay in charge, I'm not sure we will ever reach day 15 because they will allow the political theater to continue on and on and on. And it started from the beginning last night. It started from the beginning, the long walk that Joe Biden made to the podium, to the microphone. It wasn't that long. He's just so old, it's slow. Oh. It, it, it felt like they, but I didn't even notice the walk because I was just distracted by the mask because that's become the status symbol. He's got, hasn't he received both shots? Why does he need the mask? Why does he need the political theater to carry it on? It, it's become such a joke. The fact he's all alone. There's no one around him. Why does he have the mask on? The same reason he has it on. The same reason the NFL fined Sean Payton a hundred thousand dollars, the head coach of the New Orleans Saints, for not wearing a mask on the sideline, even though Sean Payton had the virus. He's not going to give it to anyone. He doesn't even have to test anymore. That, that's the other thing that, that boggles my mind. You know, now we have the NCAA tournament starting. If these if these players during the season had tested positive for COVID, they're given a reprieve. They're given they they don't have to test for ninety or one hundred and twenty five days, but yet they still have to wear the mask. Why? Because uh, if they could give the virus to someone, wouldn't you test to see if they had the virus? No, it's all political theater. It's all optics. It's, it, they it, want the public to see that the people that they watch are following orders, so they, in turn, will follow orders as well. 
It's Jedi mind tricks. That's the attempt. They want to play with your mind. And then all they do is turn Americans against other Americans when you don't wear the mask. That, that's, that's what ends up happening. How many times have you seen people approached because they don't wear a mask? And you see the discussions in grocery stores or the glares. or look, Why would we put our kids in masks? It makes no sense. But anyway, let's dive right in. Let's dive right in and take a look at something Joe Biden said in the first minute of his address to the nation. Pandemic. A year ago, we were hit with a virus that was met with silence and spread unchecked. Denials for days, weeks, then months. Right there. Right there. We were. We were hit with a virus that was met with silence and spread unchecked. Go back and look at the history. Go back and look at the discussion. Denials for days. Is he talking about Nancy Pelosi in Chinatown in San Francisco, encouraging people to go out, encouraging the tourists to go out? Is he talking about Bill de Blasio in the middle of March, the mayor of New York City, telling folks, go to the bars, get your drink, go do it, even though they were already operating at reduced capacity? Is that where the denials come from? Or is he talking about... People seem to get, and again, this isn't meant to defend the prior administration. That is not the goal here. The goal is to make sure we know accurate history because we can look back and say, yes, there were balls dropped and we can look there. The problem is, is we need to send ice to Washington, D.C. in the White House right now because all Joe Biden did for an hour last night was pat himself on the back. He He's a bit old to be straining his shoulder that much. Give him a little rub down. Yeah, know? he's like, going to need some icy hot. He needs something on that shoulder. I mean, I feel bad. I'll tell you what. I honestly feel a bit bad for Joe Biden because there is no chance in the world that he wrote that speech, number one. Number two, I'm not convinced he believed a lot of it, but he was told he needed to say it, and he did. And I just watched the people around him continue to exploit him, and at some point he's got to say enough's enough. I can't believe he said some of the stuff he says. But then he talked about then months. Flights flights in February from Wuhan, and I believe the end of January, maybe in January 31st, were not permitted to happen. Then it became mainland China, and when the previous administration, the Trump administration, started doing that, they were called racists and xenophobes. They were told that you can't do that. You're, you can't discriminate against people based on where they're from. Well, now all of a sudden, it, it's denial for days, weeks, then months. Well, which is it? Which is it? Let's go to the next clip. He says this about the, the three-minute mark. Uh, at 3.01, you'll hear President Biden. You know, you've often heard me say before, I talk about the longest walk any parent can make is up a short flight of stairs to his child's bedroom to say, I'm sorry, but I lost my job. Can't be here anymore. Like my dad told me when he lost his job in Scranton. Oh, yeah. Now, for those listening, I don't know if you realize or not, Joe Biden's from Scranton, PA. Did anyone know that? <laughs> All I took out of that is that he thinks that once you lose your job, you have to abandon your family. <laughs> Yeah, well, Joe Biden's from Scranton, PA, and John Kasich's dad's a mailman. Those are two things that we need to, to, to make sure that's accurate history and written down. And we're reminded of that every time they speak. How about this? How about this? What about Joe, President Biden, 
What about the Keystone Pipeline workers that had to make that walk to their kids? We're worried about jobs? Is that what we're worried about? Because we've made the wrong people the bad guys in this situation. The people that are busting their butt working for the past year to try and keep their businesses afloat. The people on the campaign trail that you said, you know, at at one point you weren't going to get rid of fracking, you weren't going to do anything about the pipeline, and then at the other point you told them they need to learn how to code, they need to learn how to use computers. Talk about jobs. Let's talk about the business owners that have had to scramble for 366 days not knowing what next week looks like because of government restrictions that have been put on them that have told them how they are permitted to operate, when they are permitted to operate. Let's talk about the unconstitutional overreach from state governments, Ohio being the one of the leaders in the unconstitutional overreach, on telling businesses on seizing business property. It's straight out seizing the property of businesses, not telling them how they can operate. They seize their property. They shut them down for no reason. No one had been, at the time, diagnosed or exposed in their area, yet we shut the entire state down. And again, here's Ohio history we can look at. We can look at the fact of the numbers that were said by Dr. Amy Acton and Mike DeWine. Even with mitigation, they talked about what the numbers would be. Those numbers never came. The unrealistic expectations. Well, we've made it through almost one segment. We've gotten through two lines of President Biden's speech. There is much more to come in the next segment. You're listening to AM 1420, The Answer. Welcome back to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Rob Walgate sitting in on this beautiful Friday morning for Bob. And we dove right in. We dove right into President Biden's remarks. We're going to have a number of callers later in the show. Some friends I want to introduce to all of the listeners. So, And, and you may be listening now saying, you know what, Rob, I, I didn't listen to last night's speech. And I didn't listen for a reason that I don't want to hear it now. And I'm going to tell you, here's the thing. We need to be engaged and involved through the entire process. Ignoring something is not going to help it go away. We need to understand what's happening, what's going on, what's being said, because it is our job, it's all of our jobs, to help educate others. If we don't do it, who are we going to count on to do it? Well, being uninformed is what got us in this mess anyways. So, Not understanding true truth. And that's what we have to do. We have to understand the truth. And we've got to do a little bit of work on our part. It's not easy. That's why across the country, talk radio is as important as it is So in so many markets. That is, I don't want to say it's the key to sanity, but I know that's what's holding a lot of people together. I know a lot of people that listen to this station from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. every single day to get Bob's perspective and to allow Bob to help them, to walk along with them during this process. And it, it, and it's so important right now in the times where we're going to jump to another line from last night's speech starting at the 1339 mark. It's a time when every adult is eligible in May. We will launch with our partners 
new tools to make it easier for you to find the vaccine and where to get the shot, including a new website that will help you first find the place to get vaccinated and the one nearest you. No more searching day and night for an appointment for you and your loved ones. The reason I wanted to listen to that clip is because, again, Joe Biden's been in politics for what, nearly 50 years? Yeah, 47. 47 years. I, I, I would love to have a conversation with him and ask him what he feels the government does better than the private sector. And I'm not even talking about we know the government, no matter how bad it's going to be, is going to do it more expensive. And it's going to be all of our money. I mean, as was evident with the $1.9 trillion, they're going to send uh, most Americans 1400 but yet it's going to cost every American six to $7,000. So, um, and people are celebrating about that. It makes me scratch my head a little bit and say, wait a minute here. This, I was doing third grade math last night. That third grade math doesn't add up too well in my mind. Um, and stuff's being deferred and put off. They're going to develop a new website. Think it's going to be the same people that did the Obamacare website? I hope so. Yeah. Because that was a magnificent website. There was nothing wrong with that. Or the unemployment websites that we've seen all across the country that have failed and broke down continuously that they haven't been prepared for. Well, this time it's going to be made by Chinese. Yeah, Chinese, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Who's doing the coding? Yeah, who's doing the coding? Is all the all the Keystone Pipeline workers, Joe, that with your pen you put out of work? Is that who's going to do the coding? Is that who's building the site? Is this your idea of job creation? But he followed up that quote. He followed up that line, and he got in to a line regarding education and schools. Thirdly, with the passage of the American Rescue Plan, and I thank again the House and Senate for passing it, and my announcement last month of a plan to vaccinate teachers and school staff, including bus drivers, we can accelerate massive nationwide effort to reopen our schools safely. Well, there, my goal that I there, there's, at the same time about 100 million shots. There's schools all across the country that have been open safely, and they've been open since the start of this school year. There's schools in Ohio. The problem is, is they're manipulating the numbers and the data they give to us, and, and when you hear people like Mike DeWine and John Husted give the number, you, you notice they give you the percentage of schools that are open. They don't give you the percentage of students that are in school. And they don't do that because the largest districts in the state are the ones that are staying home. They give you the percentage of schools that are open so that they can have a higher number, so it can look better than it is. Teachers in Ohio were at the front of the line. They were able to get vaccinated before many folks were able to receive the shot. And in some districts, that's not good enough. They still don't want to go back to the classroom. They're not going to do it. However, there there have been both public and private schools that have been open safely since the end of August, the beginning of September that haven't missed any in-person instruction. And what's happening during this that, that President Biden's talking about? Who's being hurt the most? It is hurting our urban districts. It is hurting the inner city kids. Kids that 
we may see the, the ramifications of this for years and years to come. These young people, when you read the article, they're young people that go to school to receive hot meals. They're young people that go to school for opportunities, for athletics, for theater, so many things. We've done a disservice the last 366 days to all of our young people. two sides to every story there's the mainstream media side and then there's the truth you are experiencing the truth the bob france authority on am 1420 the answer welcome back to the bob france authority rob walgate sitting in on this friday morning for bob and um the first half hour Derek, boy that flew by uh i guess when <laughs> when you're listening to what we were listening to that's gonna happen and it's going to go fast. We're going to we're going to change lanes and take a bit of a break momentarily in this next segment. I want to introduce the listeners to to a friend of mine. Um, during the past year, we've all taken a look at numbers and we've tried to dissect numbers and understand numbers. And I feel uh, every numbers had been um, manipulated and by by both sides, maybe if you want to call it sides, but. Every weekend, I would get an email in my inbox that just said Ohio COVID update, and, and the number it was this past weekend, I got Ohio COVID update um, number 47, and it would give data through um, that week, and it would talk about hospitalizations, ICUs, people on ventilators, and, and all this data was gathered by an individual that just wanted to provide information and maybe get some clarity, and I wanted introduce him to the listeners right now he's on the line and that's dave petno dave good morning thanks for joining us rob it's a pleasure to be on your show thank you so much well uh why you know i'm looking at all these charts and graphs you send as as i look at them every week tell me why did you start dissecting and breaking down the numbers because when i look at this i don't see any ideological or political slant or there's nothing to you're just breaking down data and giving people info, and it's a lot. I know this takes hours every week. Why, why did you start doing this? Well, Rob, like everybody else, I, I found myself uh, really a year ago in my house with not much to do, and the recommendation was find a new hobby, find a new way to, to uh, you know, uh, better yourself or uh, a, new, a new thing to pass the time. And for some crazy reason, I, I started looking into the data uh, and, and the main reason was I, I really didn't like how it was being presented early on. Every single chart ended with the top, at the top right, these arrow curves, these, these bar charts that just looked terrifying way, way, way from the beginning. So I started just looking at, you know, so what are, what are the percentages? What are the population, you know, uh, percentages of, of infected and deaths? Next thing you know, I, I, I started building a spreadsheet and adding more data and, and basically you know, capturing the key data points from the from the Ohio.gov site every single day leads to some pretty interesting findings. Now, and you got all of your data from data that was on Ohio.gov, and some of it wasn't easy to get. I mean, you had to dive in and look at spreadsheets and pull data and pull numbers, but everything came from there. It was nothing on your own that you made up. It was all it was all those those uh, information right. that was provided by the state. 
uh, all from public sources. Uh, everything from Ohio is from the Ohio.gov site. I do some stuff on the United States. I use Worldometers. They have a pretty good website. But but basically pulling it down, putting in my own de- in my own database. I had to learn how to do pivot tables, which I never knew how to do before. I wasn't really that good with graphs before. But, uh, but you know, it's just really trying to explain the complicated and make it easy to understand, which is kind of what I do in my day job in, in the insurance profession. So, uh, you know, it, it just became kind of a natural thing to do. And then just over time, it, it honestly got out of hand, Rob. Those, those emails are way too long, don't you think? No, I don't, because I think it gives <laughs> everyone something to dive in and look at. And, and please feel free, let, let the listeners know how they can access this data or how they can get on that email list because um there's so many charts and things to look at it but it's not causing you to go to a different conclusion at each one they all complement each other from the number of active cases on the ohio population to the total percentage of recovered cases i mean you cover every angle i feel that needs to be covered and i don't think with all this data, you could spin in any different direction. I mean, these are the facts. Well, I, I appreciate that. And, and you know, I I really am a, a freedom guy, and I, I really want our, you know, I think about our kids. I think about the young people. They're the ones that, that need to get their freedoms back, need to get their lives back. And and so if I do have any agenda, it's it's about the kids and about the young people. And, and, and I know and love many, many older folks uh, and, and we want to protect them and keep them safe. But you want to hear some good numbers? I mean, there's some good news in the data. I Let's know you had em. a tough first segment there. How about some good news? Bring um, it. So num- number one, hospitalized, one, of, one of the charts that, that we've been tracking for a long time, hospitalized patients with COVID. I say with because it doesn't mean it's for COVID, but with COVID. Right? Our high point was 5,300 patients in Ohio hospitals with COVID, that was mid-December. That was almost 19% of all hospital beds. And the data looked like, the trends looked like they were going up at that point. That got a little bit scary. Now that number is down to 908 total patients with COVID, which is just about 3.3% of Ohio hospital beds. That's pretty awesome. That, that, that's, you want to hear it? You want that, to hear it? that's wonderful. Yeah. That That's wonderful. But it also highlights the fact of the fear-mongering that happened in the beginning by the administration telling us we were going to have hospitals overran and and they prepared and they did everything, but that didn't come to fruition and all the fear-mongering that happened in the beginning. That's why I'm appreciative of your numbers helping us understand that. Give us some more good news. Give us another good number. Well, how about this vaccine distribution? This is just, I mean, if you step back and think about what happened in the last 12 months, right? Like you said, this is the anniversary of, you know, first year anniversary of 15 days to stop the spread. Um, we have now administered over 2.1 million first doses of vaccine in Ohio. That's 18% of our population. And 1.2 million completed doses, so second doses. That's about 10% of our population in less than a year from, from even discovering the virus. That is, if you think about the logistics that go with that, it is mind-blowing. And then to take that one step further, people over, over 80, 66% of them have received their first dose. People over 70, 63%. People over 65, 51% of Ohio population has received their first dose of the vaccination. That's just downright amazing. It's amazing. You, if you look at those charts, one of my favorite charts is total cases 
which is now at about 985,000. And I, I, I take it all the way back from the beginning. And, it, and it, it's a curve, you know, and it goes up, but it's really flattened versus vaccinations given. The vaccination numbers are going through the roof compared to total cases. I mean, we've doubled the number of total cases in vaccines already. It's amazing. Well, and there's no secret, when you're dealing with a virus, it's going to run its course, and at some point, herd immunity has to happen for it to run its course, and whether that's through the vaccination process, through people being affected with it, and we're well on our way to that. So so I've made some other great friends along the way in this journey in the last 12 months, and one of of my new buddies, this guy named Chris Godby, uh, who is a who's a financial analyst in the in the Dayton or Cincinnati market? He puts out a, a Twitter uh, update every single day at ch godby at ch godby. He predicts that within the next twelve weeks, we're going to have over seventy percent of everyone over twenty years old vaccinated who wants it within the next twelve weeks. Seventy percent of the Ohio population. That's you know right before the you know the, the start of the summer. So there is some. There's some positive news that we want to that we want to focus on, and and now at the same time, there's some big concern about when we can get, you know, the restrictions lifted. You know, you know about the 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 testing and the um, cases per hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah, the unreachable number. That's kind of like the state coloring book that Mike DeWine put out that we all said when he put the coloring book out, it was going to go to red because they can manipulate the data. Well, the same with the 50 over the 100,000 over a two-week period. I mean, we had more probables than that um, in the past 14 days. So it, 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 that they provide unrealistic data just like they provided unrealistic data in the beginning of this. But I'm sure there's many people listening, Dave, that are saying, I'd love to see those charts. I'd love to see that info. Grab a hold of that and dissect it for themselves. How can they reach you? How can they connect with you and, and be a part of receiving this data? Well, there's a there's a, a number of ways, but one is that on on social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, MeWe, uh, Telegram, I, I use the handle at Real Data Trends at Real Data Trends. Hey, just one word. Um, from that place, you can you can send me a private message, ask me to be added to your to my mailing my email list, and I can just add your email. You have to send me your email. Um, I also post uh, sometimes on LinkedIn. I try not to overwhelm the social media, so a couple of charts a day, and then I wrap it up with a weekly email that, that's very comprehensive. Um, so I'm glad to share, glad to get the word out, glad it, glad when people forward things around. It's wonderful. Now, now there may be people listening that are a bit skeptical and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who, who's the money behind this? Why is this guy doing this, and who is paying him <laughs> to get this data out? So let's put all that on the table right now, Dave. Right, right. I, I need to disclose my income from this activity, which has been zero. And, <laughs> and uh, like, like you said, multiple hours a week. Uh, my, my Saturday afternoons turn into several hours of, of preparing the data and, and making sure that it's right before I send it out. And, and uh, now it's just, it's just a desire to get the word out and, and, and help people understand the data, good and the bad. I mean, I, like you said, this, 47 uh, updates, so that meant we went through the fall wave, which which is really another phenomenal thing. You know, can I recap that real quick? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So on November 1, okay, that doesn't seem very long ago, right? That's just right around Election Day, seems like yesterday. Ohio had 200,000 cases total by that time. You know, the first eight months of the pandemic, 200,000 cases. 
We currently have 985,000 total. Okay, doesn't mean they're open, doesn't mean they're active, but that's what that means. We went up 785,000 cases between November 1st and March 11th. 785,000. So we went up and up, 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 and our hospitalizations went up and came down in that same time. And now, really, the the number in the midst of that, we had that curfew, and I had to go back and relook up what the curfew uh, parameters were. So we got out of the curfew by being below 2,500 uh, COVID-19 hospitalized patients yeah. for, for a seven-day period. Yeah. I think on February 10th, we got out of that. We've, we've now been 38 days below 28, below uh, 2,500 hospitalizations. The, yeah. yeah. And the rumor is, because we got out of that, you know, Mike DeWine and his team never dreamed we'd get under that 2,500 in such a short <laughs> amount of time. And that's the reason yeah. for the unrealistic number of 50 over 100,000 because they know that's not attainable. They know that's basically saying – because the goal went, yeah. the goal went, Dave, and I think it highlights this in your chart. The goal went um, – you can look at this and come to this conclusion. The goal went in the beginning. Don't overwhelm the hospitals. We have to save our right. resources. So now the goal has become no one can get sick ever again. That's basically what you're <laughs> yeah. saying with 50 over 100,000. No one can get sick well, ever again. And and quite frankly, no one's gotten the flu this year. Just look at the numbers from the CDC. I mean, every, I, it's amazing to me. Makes me want well, my head explode, well, my, too. Well, you know, again, just keep focusing on the good news, right? So, so the World Health Organization, I understand, said that uh, a positivity rate of 5% of testing was a good number. And when you get below that, uh, that you know, reopening can begin. Well, we've been at three percent for some period of time, so that's great. However, we're averaging about forty-five thousand cases a day, and, and Lisa Keller, uh, who's a, uh, a, a local politician in Delaware, put out a great uh, analysis of this. Uh, at three percent, we're av- you know we're we're averaging thirteen hundred and fifty uh, new cases a day. We got to get down to four hundred and seventeen new cases a day. Over a fourteen or fourteen day period, uh, according to um, the governor, in order to lift the restrictions, and even if we drop to one percent positivity rate, we'd still be over the numbers. If yep. we went from three percent to one percent, <laughs> it's not a realistic number. Shocker! Mike Dewine and his team put out something that we can't reach because they want to stay in control. They want to keep the power and they want to do everything that they can to let us know. Who is in charge? And they've done that over the past year, and it's up to us as Ohioans to fight back. Dave, we appreciate your work. Thank you for your time. Keep pumping out those charts. We're going to keep looking at them. And for anyone that's looking for you, they can find you at Real Data Trends on social media. Thanks, my friend. Talk to you soon. My pleasure. Thanks. Welcome back to the Bob France Authority, AM 1420, The Answer. And Derek notified me over the break. I dropped the ball. I dropped the ball at the beginning of the show. I know Bob starts the show each and every day with the Pledge of Allegiance. And I failed to do that this morning. And for that, I apologize to the listeners. I apologize to Bob because this is his show. And when I sit in this chair, 
I do the things the way Bob needs needs them done. So right now, we're going to jump in and we are going to have the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That brought to you by the one and only The Rock. And Derek, what year was that from? Uh, 2011. 2011. That was done by The Rock in front of a large audience. Very on, large. On Monday Night Raw? Is that probably, what it was? yeah. Probably on Monday Night Raw. Um, what are the chances they would say the Pledge of Allegiance today in 2021 in front of a large audience? If there was anyone to do it, to push the envelope, I think WWE would be the ones to push. All right. Well, push. Donald, Donald Trump's in their Hall of Fame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think they would be the ones to push uh, the envelope and, and be willing to do it. Huge thanks to Dave Petno for coming on and talking about the data and the numbers. And, I, folks, I get it. Sometimes the analytics of it all, if you're not a person that likes to look at numbers and graphs and charts, it can it can weigh on you. And sometimes some folks will say it gets a bit boring, but it's important that we understand the numbers because if we don't look at them and understand the numbers and we leave it up to elected officials to be in charge to tell us what we are going to do and how we are going to do it, we're in for a long road. And there are businesses all across the state, business owners I talk to every single day, that are struggling to make it because of the restrictions and the things put in place. And, and the government's made it more, even more difficult. And a lot of times with the unemployment aspect of it all, there's some people that couldn't even find people to come back to work when they did want to open because of rules and regulations and things the government put in place. And, and so many times the government also vilifies the business owner. We, we've made in this country, Business owners be the bad guys. They're the good guys. I believe it was Coach Holtz that said, heroes in this country sign the front of paychecks. And too many times we look at business owners as, oh, they're those rich guys. Oh, they, we don't realize they're signing paychecks and providing resources and jobs for others. We don't realize that it, when it was time to start their business, they're the ones that put their capital on the line. They're the ones that put their neck on the line. They were the ones that were willing to take the chance to get that business started. But we've tied their hands so much on what they're able to do. And, and too many times we look all view business owners as being like Jeff Bezos and having billions and billions and billions at, the, at their disposal. That's not how it works. Business owners in this country aren't jumping on. Your average everyday business owner is not jumping on a private plane and jet-setting with his family everywhere he wants to go. I, I have plenty of friends that are small business owners, and they grind it out, and they work hard, and they've been at it for years. Perfect example, I was, I was at a friend's house two weekends ago. I walk in for his son's birthday party. He's, it, it's 6 o'clock on a Saturday evening, probably two, three weeks ago. And he's like covered in mud from the waist down. And, and I look at him, but I just kind of shake my head and I'm like, well, dude, what, what's up with you? And he just shook his head and he said, he said, oh, he said, I was on a roof chipping ice out of gutters because there was a leak down a wall. And I'm like, in the house? He said, no, no, it, 
at the office. He has an office. He owns a business. So on Saturday at 5.30, he should have been preparing for his kid's birthday. You know, he's the owner. He has it easy, right? He doesn't have to do anything but just go play golf and hang out and go on vacation. It's all he has to do. He owns the place. No, no. He's got to get up on the roof at 5.30 on a Saturday and get covered in mud, chip out ice so water can drain so it doesn't go in and ruin. Then he's got to go in and look at the drywall, see what needs fixed, and take care of all that. There, there's no one to do. The owner does that. So I understand the owner of multi-billion corporations doesn't do that, but the business owners we're talking about around this country, that's what they're doing. So many times we make them the bad guys, yet when all the other employees leave, when there's no one to do the job, the owner's the one who's doing it. And he's the owner that's owned it for 17 years, built a pretty good business, and he's doing all right for himself. But there he is on the roof with his his uh, 12-year-old son said he helped too. I said, what was your job? Hold the flashlight and get yelled at. That's That was my job when I was a kid with my dad. He didn't own a business or anything, but when it was time for house, I held the flashlight and got yelled at. I did that job better than anyone. Well, that's the most important job. It is the most important job. But the point being is every time it, it, the politicians on TV, they talk about these business owners, they make it sound like they're avoiding taxes. They're not doing – listen, they're talking about a fraction, the wealthiest of the wealthy – your neighbors are business owners. Your neighbors are working hard. They're putting their neck on the line. We need small business owners to make this country function and roll, and we need to support them every way we can.